Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Micah Redding, a software developer, writer, podcaster, and the executive director of the Christian Transhumanist Association, which I have a lot of questions about. How's it going, Micah? It's going awesome. Uh, excited to talk to you. So, let, before we get into transhumanism, which seems to be a pretty big part of what you do these days, um, let's yeah. do some history that I think will uh, offer good background on that. So, first yeah. first topic I've picked up on is that you were the son of a preacher man. Yes, that is that is correct. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so I grew up in the. Uh, Church of Christ, which it, most people would kind of classify as a small fundamentalist um, conservative uh, church. And uh, yeah, my dad was the preacher and we lived all over the country preaching in these little small, small churches. That's that's how I grew up. Yeah. Is Church of Christ related to the Baptist Church? I mean, um, as far as not, belief system, not as far as like <laughs> financial ties. Right, right. No, um, it's so it's a congregational church, meaning like every congregation ha- is basically its own thing. Um, it doesn't answer to any kind of central authority or anything like that. Um, uh, and it's it's just kind of it, it kind of emerges from the American Restoration Movement in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, it's not really connected to the Baptists, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, so. Yeah, a lot of people would feel like they kind of understood, you know, what was going on there based on that. One thing that's distinctive about the Church of Christ is they pretty much don't use instrumental music. And so that's um, that's a huge thing for most people, a huge kind of like weird uh, <laughs> thing about, about this church is that it's all acapella. It's all just vocal. Huh. Yeah, actually, uh, the last time I went to uh, the church that my parents go to now— uh, probably 10 plus years ago, but, uh, they had added like the whole rock band thing and like sure, yeah. drums and bass. And like, I grew up not mm-hmm. allowed to listen to rock and roll <laughs> and now, <laughs> yeah. now they're doing it in church. Um, right. <laughs> and, and half the praise songs they're singing are essentially like, uh, uh, copped from pop song. Yeah, yeah, like top 40 kind of love songs, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. just with new words. And they do a bastardized right. version of uh, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Okay, yeah, sure. They take, a, <laughs> they take just the non-sacrilegious parts of the song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. So anyway, that that is that is interesting and an aside. And this, this topic will come back up. But um, speaking of music, you were also a touring musician. Yeah, so just kind of an indie musician. Uh, I spent about eight years doing that, um, and really kind of in a really DIY sort of way. Uh, you know, did did our own recordings. Did, you know, did all this like booked our own uh, shows and tours, and and uh, we ended up uh, eventually kind of doing a bunch of college shows and doing um, an overseas tour um like in the middle east kind of military tour um wow and yeah so we did you know we did that for a number of years and released a couple albums and a couple things like that and then i tried to create a concept album and kind of uh you know burned a hole in my brain uh (laughs) trying to (laughs) trying to make that work so uh then yeah so that's that's when i kind of like had to go searching for the next thing that i was gonna do which was well, so I actually, um, I took a, back in 2012, I took a round the world trip with my brother and we did, uh, 14 countries in 40 days. Um, and we just, we were basically kind of couch surfing with strangers and, uh, and staying in hostels and stuff like that. And just going to all these places. Um, and when I came back, um, I'd really been struck by, uh, the real, uh, need for technological solutions and and concern for big things. I was in Tahrir Square uh, when they were announcing the election um, right after the revolution, and you know, and and it occurred to me. I looked around at all these people who were filming and snapping pictures of this with their you know with their little flip phones and stuff, and I was like, 
we are capturing this history from a you know from an individual point of view like we've never done before and nobody's really kind of concerned about how we're going to preserve this how this is going to become part of you know what our species remembers you know and so i really came back with this uh decision to focus more on um on technology and uh, i really dug into being a um, a developer over the next several years. And I also really started to kind of, um, you know, uh, emphasize and, and pay a lot of attention to transhumanism and where that's going. Well, that leads us to an obvious next topic then. <laughs> what, what is, <laughs> what is transhumanism? Yeah. So, uh, so, my my history with this is is kind of weird and winding, but but basically transhumanism is a kind of a philosophy that we can and should use science and technology to make the world and humanity dramatically better. Um, and you know what's what kind of makes it distinctive is the fact that there that transhumanists tend to be willing to pursue that idea much much farther than anyone else is is willing to so most people say yeah i'm i'm you know i i like science i like technology but um you know they're they're willing to think about it maybe a step or two ahead and transhumanists want to say okay you know what's what does it look like uh you know 10 generations of technology ahead 50 years ahead you know what what is what are we really looking at and how will that transform the human species and the world and what should we do, be doing about that today? So this flies in the face of most of uh, Christian churches kind of philosophies. Uh, the average person might say, yeah, I like science and whatnot, but yeah. growing up uh, as you did in yeah. a fundamentalist community, technology was almost always viewed as something that belonged to the devil, not to God. <laughs> Um, especially medical sciences and some, some sects take that further than others. But, uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to, uh, topics like, uh, fetal tissue and, uh, mm -hmm. any modification of the human body in any way, these things are pretty much universally shunned by the church. Um, and then technology, if you can look at porn on something, then obviously the devil made it. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting, uh, rule of thumb there. Yeah. Uh, would apply also to books, uh, right. <laughs> right. Material. Well, I mean, this, this does date back. I mean, the, the, the idea of right. the printed press other than the Gutenberg Bible, it began yeah. as, as it became accessible to more and more people, mm -hmm. it became feared by the church. Yeah, there's a there's a very tense relationship uh, between um, Christians and technology a lot of times, um, and uh, you know, I typically I think our culture and uh, our religious culture particularly offers two main ways of dealing with technology. One of which is to reject it as something bad or that really kind of, you know, takes away from our humanity. Um, and the other, and so I, I would just call that like reactionary. And then uh, the other is to kind of treat it as basically a consumer product, like a, a, to treat it consumeristically, like it's a fashion item. And so you might get the latest Apple watch just because that's the kind of cool thing to do. And so consumerism and reactionary ism um are these two ways that we respond to it the church leans heavily into the reactionary side of the spectrum um but i think both of those are insufficient they're both um they're both really flawed and really kind of toxic ways to engage with technology ultimately so okay let me let me get a quick distinction here um is transhumanism and Christian trans transhumanism, two different things. Um, so I would say Christian transhumanism is a subset of transhumanism. So there's there's secular transhumanists and there are Christian transhumanists. Okay, so when and, someone says um, transhumanist, though, it doesn't it doesn't mm -hmm. imply Christian transhumanist. 
That's correct. Okay. That's absolutely correct. And the vast majority of transhumanists are secular transhumanists. Um, so uh, for many years, well, so uh, like just to give you some back background, maybe that will be helpful. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I grew up as a preacher's kid. Um, one of the, the things that we were taught though, and one of the kind of things that I really value about growing up in the church that I did is that we were taught we had to study for ourselves. And so, you know, it was really kind of like a back to the Bible thing. So you had to read the read it yourself and figure out all this stuff yourself. And and even though, you know, here are the answers you're supposed to come up with, it's still <laughs> up to you to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I took that more seriously than, you know, than most people, certainly more than my teachers expected, you know, things like that. Um, but so I read, you know, from an early age, I read a lot of science, a lot of uh, you know, stuff about physics, a lot of stuff about theology. And ultimately, I came to um, to really kind of dig into um, through people like C.S. Lewis and uh, N.T. Wright and G.K. Chesterton, people who are more connected to like Anglican, Catholic and Eastern Orthodox thought. Uh, so these are, you know, these are uh, so different wings of Christian thought, right? Kind of older, older branches of Christian thought. And the people who were, you know, they, they kind of led me into um, thinking about what Christian theology was really about. And, um, and you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this a lot, but basically it comes down to Christian theology is concerned with the transformation of the physical world. Um, and that's not what we're told in most of our fundamentalist Christian churches in America, um, you know, we might be told that we're just trying to get to heaven. You know, we're just trying to get out of out of here. Like things on earth don't matter. Um, you shouldn't be too too wrapped up in them them and so forth. Um, and it's kind of an escapism, right? Like you're just waiting for waiting for the rapture or something like that. Um, but older Christian theology, historic Christian theology, according to, you know, people, these, these, these kind of theologians was about the transformation of the body and the transformation of the physical world, because the physical world was considered good. And so it had to be when there was something wrong and it, it had to be fixed. And so as I kind of uncovered that theology as a, as a young teenager, and I really identified with it and found it meaningful, um, that, um, basically made me a transhumanist. And as soon as I, um, encountered secular transhumanists online in the nineties, I was like, oh, these people are doing the same thing that Orthodox Christian theology is doing. They're just doing it in a secular context. And so I, I immediately kind of identified as a transhumanist, um, and but, you know, and and many of them were welcoming and many of the other of them were like, no, that's impossible. You can't be a Christian and a transhumanist. And um, and for many years, that has been the uh, kind of base assumption of a lot of people is that you can't be a Christian and a transhumanist because Christians are just trying to get off the you know, out of the world. They don't care about physical reality. It's all about the spiritual, that kind of stuff. Um, so for, for me to be a Christian transhumanist for many people is still a very weird thing. Yeah. Well, and I guess it is because, I mean, people are familiar with, uh, Christian scientists who mm. their, uh, relationship to the Christian church is sketchy at best. Uh, yeah. putting the word Christian in front of something, uh, right. It, right. it doesn't have the strong implications um, so uh, if you could define what about uh, Christian transhumanism does uh, intersect with kind of the traditional canonical Christian belief set? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would argue that my Christian transhumanism is really just historic Christian orthodoxy. It's just that we've like in America have typically forgotten what that actually is. Um, and, and have offered something very different. Um, and so historic Christian, if you, if you just read the new Testament and, and then read like the people in the first two or three centuries, they talk about, you know, it's, it's all about the, the transformation of the, of the human body and the importance of the human body and thus the importance of human life. 
And they're anticipating that through the actions of human beings in the world, um, that the world is going to be transformed and that the entire cosmos is going to be renewed and spring into life. Um, and of course, this is a pre-scientific you know, expression of these ideas. But I would say once we just kind of you know, frame it in a scientific context, that that's what transhumanism is really is is saying okay let's let's use you know our our human actions to transform the the physical world to make it better using science and technology um and to you know to kind of defeat uh diseases and aging and death and things like that and and make a better world for all life so what is your role in Christian transhumanism? Well, so uh, as you mentioned earlier, I'm the executive director of the Christian Transhumanist Association. So, um, yeah, back in uh, 2012, I started writing about um, Christian transhumanism, about why I believed that Christianity really was transhumanism when it was correctly you know, understood. Um, and you know, we, so a community of us started, you know, started, uh, forming online and gradually, uh, through 2013 and 2014, we decided to form an association just to try to advance that conversation, um, in, you know, in the broader Christian world and, um, you know, the broader religious world and so forth, um, and so, yeah, we so we've, you know, just been kind of slowly taking taking, you know, step after step. And, you know, right now we have um, something approaching 500 members worldwide. Um, you know, we have a, a larger community a few times that size that we kind of uh, engage with. Um, we have a seven member uh, ad academic advisory council who kind of is our window into the academic world. Um, and, uh, and I try to advance the conversation kind of in a popular context. And so, you know, I just try to talk to normal, you know, normal people about it and, uh, especially Christians and, and, um, churches and so forth and say, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to really, um, ha rethink the way we're approaching technology, uh, because it really isn't, you know, th this kind of reactionary stance doesn't fit with the faith that we claim to hold. So uh, when you say uh, like about 500, do you, so the overall, well, okay. So first, uh, Christian Transhumanist Association is not a church. That's a question. I, uh, I made I, it like a statement because I do that, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, we're absolutely not a church. So, our, you know, our members are, you know, from Catholic, Orthodox, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, uh, Baptist, Mormon, um, you know, all, all, all over the kind of Christian spectrum and, and non-Christian spectrum. We have, you know, friends and, and associates who are, um, maybe, you know, don't consider themselves Christian, but are, uh, really, uh, you know, really kind of interested and engaged with this or, you know, uh, looking, ho hoping to see, uh, us kind of, continue to advance and, you know, and, and often challenging us. And so we have these open-ended conversations. It's not, it's also not a belief system. Um, you know, we're not, we don't all have the same point of view on things. We're all engaging questions around technology and, and religion and so forth from our own individual perspectives. Um, so yeah, it's not a church, not a denomination. Um, we're, we're trying to support people in their existing faith commitments and kind of challenge uh, people to engage with these subjects in a better way. So as far as transhumanism as a whole, uh, all, mm -hmm. all, you know, categories included, is that considered a church? No. Um, and so mo uh, many transhumanists would be very appalled by the suggestion that um, there was some kind of religious content to transhumanism as a whole. Uh, Wikipedia um, told me, I think, uh, 60% of people uh, affiliated were uh, atheists. So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's very high. Um, and, you know, the, the number of people who are non-religious, I'm sure, is, is significantly higher than that even. Um, we are affiliated with Humanity Plus, which is the kind of largest and oldest transhumanist association or uh, organization. And even though most of them, by far, are secular, um, atheist, non-religious, um, they have, you know, affirmed that we are, you know, a, a legitimate part of the kind of larger transhumanist community. All right. Um, I feel like I had a follow-up question when I started asking that, but... Um, <laughs> so well, there's all kinds of places we could go, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, it, jumping back to, like, your early studies, uh, were you encouraged to read things other than the... Uh, King James version or new international version of the Bible. Yeah. Um, you're asking about like other religious materials, other, other books outside of that. Yeah. I think specifically I am. Cause that was something that was, yeah. um, implicitly discouraged for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't really know, um, what all people were aware I was reading, but they did kind of set me loose in a library and, um, and I just read everything, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and yeah, no one ever told me not to read anything. Now, um, I think that was largely because reading itself was considered, you know, positive, uh, certainly wasn't the case with, you know, other things like, you know, radio and TV and, and so forth. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pop culture kind of stuff that I <laughs> missed out on. But um, but the re but reading was was pretty encouraged. And so, you know, I I, I took that more seriously than um, than uh, maybe people expected me to. Sure. Yeah, I think I think um we were even discouraged from reading uh, books of the Bible that had not had, had been excluded or redacted from <laughs> the canon that, you know, was available at our church. Uh, I think it was the Catholic right. Bible has a couple extra books in it. Uh, that, yeah, it does. And obviously there was a reason that God told us not mm -hmm. to include those <laughs> in our right. pew Bibles. Um, yeah, I... I, it always led to more curiosity than anything for me. But. Yeah, I mean that's that's what uh, you know when you're restricted from from certain kinds of information, then yeah, you're definitely interested in what's over that fence there. <laughs> yeah. So there were um, some of the churches that we were involved in um, would do this with songs. Uh, so the song books they would have, they would just mark on them not to be used because they had objectionable, um, material in them, pur you know, purportedly. Um, and so that was always interesting trying to figure out what was so <laughs> dangerous about these songs. Wow. No, that, yeah, yeah, that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. These, uh, yeah. very specific exclusions. Mm -hmm. Huh? Mm -hmm. All yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And that was, you know, it's like, well, we're not making the songbooks. Somebody else made them. So we don't approve of everything they chose or, you know, something like that. It's yeah. It gets, gets pretty bizarre when you go far, far down that, that road. Cause God wasn't guiding them in that moment. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you see as the, uh, long-term future of humanity and the planet? Yeah, so I've um, I've been working on something I, I jokingly talk about as my billion year plan, um, and you know I think um, w one thing you know w one thing that kind of comes out of these conversations is just thinking about things on a larger scale, um, and most of us don't think about you know much beyond like the next few years or something, but. I think that's that, that's a bad situation. We're now at a place as a planet, as a society, as a civilization where we have to be thinking on these long-term timescales because we're operating, we're doing things that have those kinds of impacts um, now that we're this global species. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that people aren't maybe very um, aware of is that According to scientific estimates, um, the the all life on Earth is due for extinction 
within the next billion years. Um, and so it, uh, the, uh, the, at somewhere between five and seven billion years in the future, the sun will probably expand to engulf the earth. But a long time before that happens, um, just the rising temperature of the sun will have heated the surface of the planet to the point where all life will be, will be impossible and will go extinct. Um, and so based on, you know, scientific, uh, you know, dating, we have, you know, we've been around for maybe three billion years of life, something like that. And we've got less than a billion years left, which means Mother Earth is about three quarters of the way through her lifespan. And then everything, all the life that we know about in the universe will be gone. Um, and so, you know, that's not even factoring in all the destructive things we're doing to the planet today. Right. Uh, so there's um, there's that's just how things, you know, how things are slated. Um, so I think it's interesting that we are the one species who at this moment in time have the potential to avert that destruction. We actually have ways we can prolong the existence of life and keep all of Earth from going extinct. Um, and so that's um, that's, you know, what I think we should kind of adopt as our as our big picture plan as the human species we should be working on how do we keep um the planet how do we keep the entire ecosystem from going extinct and we're the only species who can do it um we're the only species that can fend off killer asteroids and all that kind of stuff and actually um enhance the existence of life long term um so that's that's kind of my ridiculously big picture uh vision <laughs> So here, here's the question that that begs for me. Um, what I hear from the modern Christian church is that God has a plan for everything. And this manifests mm -hmm. in many different philosophies of theirs. The idea, mm -hmm. the philosophy of Christian transhumanism that God gave us tech and we should use it. Mm -hmm. Does, does, the, does your association subscribe to the idea that ultimately he had a plan for it all along and you're just figuring it out? Or did he give you tools to be your own thing, predestination or not? Right. So that, that's a thing that uh, that's debated in, you know, like every kind of corner of the world and philosophy and all that, you know, Sam Harris doesn't believe in in free will either, you know, so there, there's, um, there's in whether you're atheist or religious or whatever, people tend to divide over whether they think there's this kind of determinism or whether there's this free will. Um, and so that's the same with our association. People in our association sometimes believe that, you know, everything is, you know, has the, is this very defined plan that we should use technology to do this. This is the way that God set it out from the beginning. Um, and other people think that God basically just said, open the door. I want to see what you do. Go have fun. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know, uh, personally, you know, um, I'm, I'm okay with either option. Um, I think we definitely, uh, the whole, the whole tenor of, of the healthiest version of Christianity is that God put us here because he, believed in us in, in essence and believed that we had, um, incredible potential. And so it's kind of up to us to, to explore that and do something with it. That, yeah. That leads to big theological questions for me, but like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I mean, if I, if I were a deity and I had the power yeah. to create a world and create life, I, yeah. why would I, why would I want to plan unless I was an employee of a higher deity? that was given right. an assignment, if I were going right. to do this, it would be for fun to see what happens. And why would I care right. about the outcome? I would just make another right. one and try again. Like the idea that there's this plan and we, he, I've, I've created something that I love dearly and I want it to fulfill this purpose. Uh, it, like um, Frank Herbert in uh, the Jesus incident talked about this AI mm. spaceship that took a bunch of <laughs> clones that were intended to populate a world and made its own pit stop and began yeah. uh, playing God and sending clones down to the planet with the ultimate goal of getting them to worship it. Like that, yeah. <laughs> its goal was to be adored right. and to be worshipped. 
And um, why, why though? Why why would someone right. as powerful as the Christian God need need to create right. create something to right. to worship Him? I, I I don't get that, but I think I'm yeah, off track. Well, well, I mean, I think this is a big point that that um, is central for me. You know, the the biblical idea. Uh, that I think Christians don't take seriously enough is that we are the children of God. Um, and when you think about what that means, it means, you know, God is, um, you know, like in, in many uh, ways, that's exactly how we should think about it. God is a parent and the human species is God's child and God is waiting for us to grow up you know, and to do the thing that, we, you know, you don't want a kid to stay in your basement forever. You don't want a kid to, you know, to never do their, have their own life or whatever. Um, you want a kid to become mature and to make their own decisions and to do, you know, big surprising things. That's what a parent, you know, a healthy parent wants. And I think that's actually what we see in the New Testament. Um, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about how we used to be in kind of in our infancy as a species, we used to be like infant children. And now we're like adult children where we've inherited the family business. And now it's up to us to run it. Um, and that's all through Jesus and, and the apostles in the New Testament. They're saying, God wants you to like essentially take the keys, like here's the keys, like go, go drive. Um, and I think most Christians don't think about it that way. They want to think that we're still, you know, infant they, kids. They always who... want to be infants. <laughs> right. And, and the New Testament says explicitly, we're not infants anymore. We're grown up. It's time to, it's time to be adults. We're adult kids. <laughs> this is a fascinating take on it. The idea, like, so a parent's ultimate goal is to have their kids grow up and be as successful or more successful as, than they are. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to to grow up and replace them, basically. If you well, look, and, if... and the parent, yeah, right. <laughs> well, the and you know, and a good parent want, still wants a relationship with their kid, but they don't want to be like directing every aspect of their kid's life, right? Sure, that's 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 some kind of psychological problem, right? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the kid is supposed to grow up and do new things. That's the whole point. This is, this is, I, I am starting to understand, uh, your philosophy on this. <laughs> it's explicit in the, in the scripture. It's just one of those things that nobody talks about. And this is why I keep like, I, I keep, you know, to me, it's, it's clear. Like we have to be transhumanist if we're Christian. Um, but you know, that's, that's not something that people kind of are taught very often. It's funny how many things are claimed to be explicitly in the Bible that are discussed, <laughs> but actually aren't. Right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly true. Um, you know, so many Christians use the Bible as like a talisman, basically. It's like, you know, I don't really know anything about it. I haven't really engaged with it, but I'm just going to hit people with it, you know, like it <laughs> and or, it's or really read it. or something. Like, yeah. So many are just they, they were told by a, congr a congregation leader that the Bible yeah. says this, and they were given yeah. a sermon about this, offered um, flimsy supporting references, and yeah. then they go out and they argue that as if they did yeah. any research at all. Well, that yeah, that's exactly true. And, you know, I, I say a lot of times to people, the Bible is Shakespeare, not Aesop's fables. And, and the way that people want to read it, the way that they're taught to read it is, is – as if it were just a series of moral lessons, you know, like, oh, you learn this, you learn this. It's like life's little instruction book or something like that. And that's not what it is at all. It's a set of ancient literature that's designed to provoke us to profound questions about the nature of human life. That's what literature does. <laughs> and um, and it's that's really the reason why it exists is to make us really challenge you know, challenge ourselves and to wrestle with these deep questions and ultimately come to our own conclusions. And the end, uh, you know, the New Testament says, and now come to your own conclusions. It's up to you. Here's the keys. Go do something. I feel like this last paragraph of our discussion here has um, helped me understand uh, your philosophy in a way that I absolutely would not have 
uh, reading through the Wikipedia hmm. pages and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> this was good. Actually, that that discussion helped me understand uh, the, the Christian church as well in, in new hmm. ways, which is weird because I'm hmm. 40 and I grew up Christian. But, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, that's that's how it is for all of us. Like we all, you know, we look back at at kind of our past and the history and we're like, oh, that's what was going on or <laughs> should have been going on, you know, like yeah. constantly. So, yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to top three picks. Mm. You ready for that? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right. So top three picks one at a time, back and forth. You get to start. Okay. So when I uh, took my uh, trip around the world, 2012, um, with my brother, we went to all these different countries and, um, and you know, I, I brought like one, one electronic device, which was my phone and had to charge it in all these different uh, places. And I was carrying one backpack, which is not, you know, not very much uh, luggage. And I was sleeping on couches and stuff like that, so I had to keep it light. And so I, I looked for an international travel adapter. And most of them are huge and bulky and just terrible and annoying. Um, and so I found the perfect uh, travel adapter randomly one day in a container store. And it's the Kickerland UL03A Universal Travel Adapter. And it's like $10. Um, and it it lays flat. It's incredibly small and, um, and it can adapt to every power outlet in the world. And I give these, this is my like ultimate go-to gift because this to me is like kind of unlocking the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I get a lot of, um, uh, electronics shipped from various countries and they always come with uh, like Mm -hmm. three different pronged adapters Yeah, that that I always eventually lose. So if I ever travel up, up, I will, I, will, I will get to a place that has one of those, like, the two round prongs. It's at, like, 120 right. volt. And and right, I'll yeah. be like, I remember seeing 20 of these in my lifetime, and I don't have one now. Right. This this definitely <laughs> right. a must for traveling. Yeah, it's, it works like a little transformer thing. Like, you just, you know, you, you flip it around in different ways, and it, it does all the stuff. And I even broke it, uh, in, and then, um, was able to fix it. It's so simple. Like it, it's just, it's great. I love it. Nice. I, yeah, I, there's a part of me that wishes I had already done more traveling and hopes to in the future, but yeah, I I will be completely unprepared when my life takes a turn to a point where I'm free to (laughs) explore the world more. I should start. You should building. do it. It's. I should build a go yeah, kit right now. Yes, you should. It's. There's nothing like traveling. I mean, I. I just think it's like the most important thing that somebody can do for themselves in terms of an education or whatever. It's just you know, if you have the chance to do one kind of experience, you know, getting outside of your country is, especially to a country that's that's significantly different uh, than yours, is I think one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, thus far I have let the internet be my <laughs> window, <Yeah. laughs> which is, I mean, the fact that I can easily listen to the BBC and, uh, news out of the middle East and I can see, you know, what's going on in any place in the world at any time, I think is yeah. a very different situation mm-hmm. than in decades past. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I I still think I, I, Prague, Japan in general, like Ireland. I I do. I have a lot of places that I. I think every month I'm like, you know where I really want to go, and it's always some <laughs> t- completely different country, jumps between continents. Um, nice. I what I need is a travel budget that allows like um, seven or eight extended, uh, yeah, uh, cross cross ocean oceanic trans oceanic trips. Yeah. We'll get there someday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do it. This indie software developer thing will pan out. I'm sure of it. (laughs) All right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My first pick, this has probably been done by a guest before, but I never had one to to compare. I I got on uh, Cyber Monday, got a deal on the Echo Dot. And... Mm. And Amazon has these, like, you can 
get a payment plan on any of their devices that has yeah. zero interest. You basically you just break your payments up over four months and you pay the exact same amount. Um, that's huh. kind of amazing. So um, I picked up the Echo Dot for like <laughs> like twenty five dollars, um, <laughs> and they're still like thirty bucks right now. Uh, and yeah. it's a full it's it's a full Echo. Like it has, as mm-hmm. far as I know, all the capabilities, just not a, not a speaker as good. Um, but you can hook it mm-hmm. up to any Bluetooth speaker. And I have been, so I've used Siri for years. Alexa has, um, I, I've heard people say it before, but I still feel kind of guilty saying it. But Alexa has put Siri to shame, shame Siri to shame for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. I've got I've got uh, a couple of these around uh too because um we we got some for our family and then uh our family was like not wanting to be that tech savvy or whatever <laughs> but uh um but yeah i love it uh it's it's great and yeah it is way better than than siri um and there are certain things that it like it's really hard to do with it uh like i haven't figured out how to listen to podcasts in a re- reasonable way without um, having to say it, 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 it. play this yeah. podcast in this app yeah yeah it's it that's not there yet but uh, but so many things uh, like are great about it um and you know it it had the predicted effect of of making me subscribe to more amazon services yeah. <laughs> Cause, uh, you know, with that now, like I subscribe to like the Amazon, uh, unlimited music or something. Right. And just every yeah. time I think of a song, I just ask it, you know, yeah, it's great. It, it is fantastic. So I have it hooked into Spotify. So after every song I request, I have to say on Spotify, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's not that big a deal to me. Some, some of the voice yeah. commands do get a little bit archaic in syntax. Um, because mm-hmm. they have to be directed to specific applications in specific ways. Um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. just started today looking through the GitHub repositories of Alexa skills and seeing oh, if that's yeah. something I want to dig into. I have not, mm-hmm. my, my whole house is set up for home kit right now and it's mm-hmm. a mishmash of, of, of parts from Z-Wave and Insteon yeah. all, all the way back to like <laughs> X10 stuff. Um, yeah, and there's no way I'm gonna get. Thus far, I have not found a bridge between like my Indigo controller and Alexa, but I'm hoping to get there. Plus, I just learned today something every every uh, Echo owner already knows, but you can group multiple uh, together and have them sync, basically, yes. especially for whole home audio and things like that. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm planning to replace the little Airport Extreme. Uh, not Airport Extreme, the little Airport Expresses that I have around the house hooked up to various speaker systems. Uh, huh. I, I would love to replace those with Echo Dots. Yeah, well, I just, uh, to your home automation thing, I just uh, got two little uh, just kind of generic switches and um, for, you know, lights in my living room and, um, and synced those up with the Echo Dot and now... You know, I can say turn on the lights and it'll turn them on and turn off lights. And so that is that has worked uh, great. And yeah. I just named the group lights, you know. So, yeah, with anything that's um, designed to be Alexa compatible, uh, which includes mm-hmm. actually a lot of the Z-Wave devices. Uh, Insteon is pretty easy to integrate. Hue is easy to integrate. integrate. The problem is when you have larger home systems that are cobbled together. If you build yeah. something all based off of one Alexa compatible protocol, you're fine. Right. Like she can do amazing yeah. things then. But yeah. yeah, my my system, it's it's. I've been working on it for 20 years. <laughs> Nothing is innately Alexa compatible or HomeKit yeah. compatible. Yeah. Like that took me a long time to hack together full HomeKit compatibility for everything. But yeah, I'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Once I have my travel budget figured out, I'll just buy right, a whole new right. home system. <laughs> I want to get the the, got a so- plan. the Sonos one. Have you seen the new one? Uh, no, I haven't. It's it's the, part of their home their whole home audio system that is fully Alexa compatible and uh, Google Home compatibility is coming soon. 
and mm. it looks amazing and it has the like auto calibration features that you see in like the Google and the upcoming Apple speakers and yeah, yeah that's um extre- I've always heard amazing things about Sonos everyone raves uh never got into yeah. it but that that is tempting all right yeah. so anyway your next pick yeah oh yeah okay so um well so one thing that uh that i've done for years is record uh voice memos um and uh, you know i'll do i'll record a lot of different things like you know i'm, I'm sitting in a lecture or something like that and i i you know want to do it um or I'm thinking of some things that I want to remember or, you know, maybe I'm like driving somewhere and I start getting an idea for an essay or something. And so I'll just record, uh, record, you know, my ideas or notes or, you know, something like that. It's a good way to get, uh, things out. So I do this a lot. Um, and, um, and I've always used, uh, since I started using an iPhone, I've always used like Apple's built in kind of voice memos, uh, system. Um, but over that's just gotten more and more annoying over the years. And one of the reasons is you still have to sync it with iTunes. Um, you, it's, it's like one of the few things you still like have to have sync through the actual iTunes interface. And then it shows up in your, your random shuffle music. <laughs> right, which it makes no sense. Nobody wants that, you know. Like, like that is not what you you want. Just randomly, it shifts from playing your favorite songs to like, you know, personal you, notes. Like trying to, yeah, right. That's that's embarrassing. Um, so, so um, I've been looking for an alternative for a long time, and um, so recently, um, I just found uh this app called Just Press Record. And, um, I think it's free. Uh, I, I might've been, I might've paid for it. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's free, but like, I would be, I'd be totally willing to pay uh, a few bucks for this. It just, um, it's great. You, you open it up, you hit the, the button and start recording. Um, it, uh, it syncs with, um, iCloud. So it's, you know, it, it's just kind of stored in the background for you. Um, it doesn't, and other people would feel differently about this, but for me, this is really important. It doesn't require me to name the file. Um, and actually voice memos in Apple does. And so that's always like an interruption in my workflow process. I just want to record something and get it down. And so just press record does this. It just records it. It date stamps it. Um, it actually has this great feature where you can, uh, tell it to transcribe and it'll use the built-in kind of, uh, voice, uh, voice to text feature to actually go through and transcribe your file. Um, so, uh, so it, it's fantastic. It just works. It, it syncs in the background. Um, I love it. It's called just press record and I've been using it for, for a while now. Nice. Um, there used to be one called Dropbox. That would just mm, yeah, yeah. save your voice memos to a Dropbox folder. And that was basically all I did. Yeah. I yeah. used that for quite a while. <laughs> then then over time realized I'm way better at jotting notes than I am. Right. I, I get even talking to Siri or Alexa, I, I might get brain freeze as soon as I start talking. Uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to overcome, especially I for just it- quick memos. Yeah, I think different people have different like preferred modalities, you know, and, and for me, like voice is, is one of the best. Like if I can start with voice and then turn it to text later, I'm actually in a way better situation. So I think everybody has like a different thing, but it's worth maybe trying out, uh, you know, to see if you're, you know, if you might be somebody who does a lot better with voice. In the early days of Evernote, uh, before the iPhone even existed, mm. there was... Um... There was a an integration called Jot J O T T. It's okay. uh, it's gone now. But yeah. Um, I, oh, I actually I do remember this. Um, is that the same thing where you could call yep. and leave a note? Yep. Yes, I I had a very interesting ordeal with with them uh, where they when they shut down. I I guess I lost. Maybe they provided the ability to like export all your things i don't know something like that but it was gone before i really had an opportunity so i figured out a way to kind of like 
hack their system and uh, get all my like 1500 files out <laughs> oh so you're <laughs> you're a like, frequent like, user of this yeah i used it all the time it, it, you know and it and i think i was using maybe like their free thing so like i had like 15 seconds <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. something like that um I but was... i had i figured out a way to get all that stuff out yeah i always appreciated though that it was a way uh prior to you know everyone having a voice recorder in their pocket uh it was a way to send my notes to evernote which had already added the ability to search audio like it was creating transcriptions Mm -hmm. as soon as jot sent your note to it Mm -hmm. that was cool Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, yeah. Like I, I get the idea, and just press record kind of would totally fill that gap. That's cool. Yeah. Does it have a watch yeah. app? Oh, it does have a watch app. Nice. Yeah, I don't have an Apple Watch, but I, I think that would work great. Yeah. It, so. For me, like that is most handy in the shower. Now that I have a hmm. a water resistant Apple Watch, I, I have oh, uh, I have notepads in my shower, like waterproof paper. But yeah, uh, there are a lot of times I just want to. Because uh, you know man. ideas, I was taught by yeah. guests on this podcast to take long hot showers after years of <laughs> growing yeah. up taking five minute cold showers. Um, right, Merlin and uh, Brett Kelly yeah. and the, the discussions about long hot showers got to me, and I it is it's really good for thinking, but you do yeah. need a way to record that stuff. So cool, yeah. That's that's brilliant. That makes me want to go and get one now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have it, but that's yeah that that could be a, a killer app there. I have a a series one you can have. Uh, it doesn't oh. work anymore because I wore it in the <laughs> shower too many times. But, yeah. Nice. nice. Uh, drafts drafts app. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can also take uh, quick memos in the shower. Huh. Cool. All right. Um. I'll I'll also throw in a link to my favorite shower notepad in the show notes. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called right now, but all right. So my second pick is um, Lake's LED flame bulb. It's a ridiculous. Oh. Okay. First, I have to confess that I uh, I buy a lot of stuff from Instagram ads. <laughs> I, I not intentionally, but as I'm scrolling through my feed, they target me really well and they show me stuff. I'm like, whoa, that actually is cool. And that guiltily tap on it for more information. And uh, I'm not saying like every day, but more than I ever have purchased via social media ads <laughs> in the past. Uh, and huh. I saw this. Uh, I don't think it was exactly this brand, uh, but it, it made me start searching for an affordable LED light that looked like a real flame. Like <laughs> these come with multiple settings and you can have it just look like a little flickering candle or you can make it into a great big torch. And it looks like it with when it's in an enclosure, like a lamp of any kind with a shade on it, it, it looks like you have a flame inside of it and you can use it. You can put it in those little like paper box lamps and like hang them outside for a party and have like hmm. just great big flaming torches all around just using led nice. lights low low electricity <laughs> no heat really to speak of yeah huh they're cool nice. nice yeah all right so what's your next pick okay so yeah so third pick um so i'm going to go with um the ably shirt and uh so this is um this is a company called ably apparel um, a B L Y. And, um, I don't really understand what this is. They, they claim, basically they make cotton, um, clothing, um, but they do, they, they do something to it and they call it, uh, philium activated. And I think it's probably that they, they do some process. It's not a chemical. It's not something they apply to it. It's like some kind of weird, weird way of, of, um, I don't know, processing the strands of cotton or something like that, that makes it basically water resistant. Um, and so this is, this is cool. I have several of these. Um, and basically if you pour water on it, it'll just kind of like bounce off. You can, uh, you know, they, they have all these 
ads where they show people like pouring ketchup and and wine all over their you know white shirt and it just kind of like rolls off um and um and uh you know in, in by the same token it, you know it should kind of do the same thing to sweat so it's a great travel shirt like you can you can just you know you can wear one of these and um it doesn't really uh, start, you know, you could wear it for several days in a row. You could, um, you know, not worry about it getting dirty as you're traveling through all these different, you know, settings and all this kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, it, it works great. Um, I just get, you know, like their t-shirts or whatever, but, uh, they have a lot of different, different products, but, uh, works, works pretty well for me. And I think, uh, some of my brothers, uh, have, have these shirts and that's pretty much like all they wear. Yeah. So I, I was just trying to find like the actual uh, process on DuckDuckGo. Yeah, but I do, I don't know what it is. It uh, is listed as um, eco friendly and skin safe. In fact, like uh, the eco friendly part of it, there's a where am I? Uh, Fast Times article in here about what was it called? Uh, dressing down global responsibility mm. or something like that. It, this mm -hmm. it looks kind of amazing. Yeah, it, it. I don't know. Yeah, they say it's, you know, there's not an extra chemical. There's not anything like that applied to it. So I don't know what it is really. Uh, you know, it sounds like it's really some kind of different process that they go through. But what does it yeah, feel some kind like? Of mystery. What's the hand on the fabric? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty soft. It's like a, you know, it's like a high thread count cotton sheet or something like that, you know. Um, so uh, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like... Um, you know, something that's really, uh, I like don't know, sports uh, tech clothing. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. Um, it feels pretty cottony, you know, it, I mean, it, you know, it feels just like cotton really. Um, it's, it's a little bit, you know, since it's, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to describe, but yeah, it's not significantly different than what a normal kind of cotton shirt would feel like. Still breathable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you don't get um, warmer wearing it? No, I don't, no. Mm. Huh. Very cool. Yeah. I showed the uh, the Bradley short sleeve pocket tee at uh, $50 on Amazon. Is that about kind of average for their yeah. pricing? Yeah, I think, um, I think you can get the Jameson, which is like a V-neck or something for maybe like 45 or, or something like that. So it's it's like right around there. Um and, um, yeah, so it's, you know, uh, that's, that's about the, the right, uh, area. And, you know, like I said, you know, you can get, get a couple of these, um, and, you know, wear one for a week or something like that. So. How many times have you washed? Like what's the most you've washed one? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, trying to think I've got, I think I've got three of these now maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much I've washed them. I, I try not to wash them very much just because, you know, it doesn't seem necessary. I'll let them, like, dry out or something like that instead. But, um, you know, probably probably less than a dozen times. Um, it doesn't – it's not – like, again, it's not a chemical, so you're not, like, washing it off. It's, yeah. It's more like just, you know, like – is it, uh, are you kind of wearing out your, right. your cotton t-shirt? Yeah, I'm just wondering yeah. what the durability is. I'm not judging your laundry yeah. practices in any way. Right. <laughs> Feel free to, you know, I <laughs> I'm just, uh, just improvising with my, you know, my own, uh, approach to these. I don't really know. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't washed them, you know, like a ton of times. So I couldn't tell you like over the long term, but but since you don't have to either, it kind of is like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it is not that important, uh, as it, as it normally would be. Yeah. All right. I, uh, I'm adding this to my soon to buy list. <laughs> All right. Um, so my last pick is going to be. It, this one is not mine, and I, I actually don't own the iPad Pro. I would need to test it out. This comes from Chris Lott in the uh, in the Slack channel. So it is the Logitech Create iPad Pro keyboard case with smart connector. 
Um, hmm. I, I, when I started using, uh, I have a Logitech keyboard for my Series 2 iPad, uh, my iPad Air 2. Um, it has been, it, like, it changed everything for me. It was a, a good full-size keyboard that I could comfortably write on, and I could go write in my backyard or at a coffee house without carrying a computer. That was cool. Yeah. Um, I know, like, I, I can't compare this to Apple's keyboard directly, but it's a nice backlit keyboard, low profile with basically the exact same keys you would see on, I, I think it's more comparable to the like first gen magic keyboard. Okay. So I, I, like I said, I haven't used the, the Apple keyboard that they sell for the iPad pro either. And I haven't used this one. Yeah. So I'm just going to add a pointer to it so that anyone, hmm. anyone looking for a keyboard change for their iPad pro can, can take a look at it. Well, yeah, you know, this is something I keep thinking about and keep coming back to because I use a MacBook Air, which is uh, pretty small. Um, and I'm very comfortable typing on that and doing, you know, doing most of the things that I do. Um, but I keep, you know, so that's small enough where I don't uh, I don't have a lot of temptation to switch to using an iPad or something like that uh, instead. But I do keep kind of revisiting this idea, you know, of getting an iPad or, or just my phone and using a kind of full size keyboard. Um, and because when I, you know, when I type, I want, uh, like, I really, really do kind of need and want a, a keyboard. So this is something that I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested and curious about this because, you know, it, it's, it's something I still keep visiting and saying, is this going to, is this feasible? Is this something that I could realistically do? So I will add a link in here and I can send it to you separately the, to the, uh, the Logitech keyboard that I've been using. It's not a case. Mm -hmm. It's uh it's about the size of an iPad and it has a groove mm -hmm. at the top that you can slide any device, you know, smaller than the width of the keyboard uh, which includes yeah. every iPad I've ever owned, uh, all of my phones, like you can just slide it in there and then it has the dial so you can connect multiple devices and just swap out like you oh, nice. have your phone yeah. and your uh, iPad paired with it and just flip it to the yeah. one that you want to type on. Um, and yeah. it's keys are, they're, they're a little different for me, but I've gotten quite used to them. Uh, they're nice hard keys that have good tactile feedback on them. Um, that for me, nice. uh, has been, it's been perfect for, for writing. Like I said, backyard writing is in the summer yeah. here. Uh, you don't in Minnesota, you don't want to let the summer slip away. You want to be <laughs> yeah. outside. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I, I like it. Yeah. I, I'll be interested in that. Um, I, I, you know, I've always been, um, you know, I'll, every every moment I'm like doing something like writing code or something like that, I'm like thinking about uh, wistfully about being, you know, outdoors or <laughs> something. Uh, so, yeah, if I could do that when I was like writing regular text, that would be, you know, that would be fantastic. So I found it. It's the K480. That one has cool. been uh, highly recommendable for me. I've probably linked cool. it on the show before. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's three awesome. and three. Do you want to? Uh, yeah. I'm, I can do it for you. I have all the links, but do you want to list where uh, where you want people to be able to find you? Oh, sure. So um, my my personal site is just micahredding.com. Um, and uh, I write essays um, there that mostly these days kind of challenge assumptions of of, uh, you know, popular Christianity. Um, but you know, whatever, whatever I, uh, I'm thinking of at the moment, um, you can find me on Twitter at Micah T. Redding. Um, and then the Christian Transhumanist Association is christiantranshumanism.org. And, um, you know, you can, you can sign up there for free and, and connect with, you know, hundreds of other people who are kind of exploring these sorts of questions, and it's really, it's open to anyone. It's an open-ended discussion. Uh, so you're welcome to join us. Nice. And then uh, the show notes will also include links to uh, your TEDx talk, uh, your writing, yeah. writings at the Huffington Post and Motherboard. Cool. So awesome. 
Uh, I'm Brett Herbstra. You can find me as TT Scuff everywhere. You can find me on uh, ESN also at Overtired, uh, which I swear, uh, really working to get back on a schedule. <laughs> we, 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 Christina and I are two people willing to flake. <laughs> if one person says, <laughs> you know, I might have a conflict, we're like, ah, screw it, push it a week. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, you can also find me at brettterpstra.com and you can head over to signup.systemcast.net uh, to join the Slack community or find Systemcast on Twitter. No E in Systemcast. So, thanks again. This has been uh, an enlightening conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love love your work. I love talking to you. So. Thank you. Um, yeah, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you in a week.